In this edition of the TWBC podcast, we talk to one of the main industry players. Dave Wingerter appears on this podcast now. The expressed views of the guests on this podcast are theirs alone and not necessarily endorsed by the host, TWBC, or any associated sponsor. Conversations that are robust yet balanced, on point and to the point. You are listening to The Talk of Tournament Water Skiing. This is the TWBC podcast. And now, here's your host, Tony Lightfoot. Well, greetings one and all. Uh, salutations. Uh, my name is the aforementioned Tony Lightfoot. and glad to have you on board for this edition of the TWBC podcast. Now, I'm over here in the Hilltop Lake, which is uh, situated not too far outside of Seattle, just a little ways north of Seattle. And pretty much in the same area, you'll find uh, many of the uh, the brands and the makes of, of skis at the high performance level. One of those being HO. And uh, the man who is the vice president of HO Sports and is re- responsible for a lot of their R&D is Dave Wingerter. How are you doing, sir? I'm great. Welcome to have you guys. Good, 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 good. So... Uh, hilltop event uh, coming up. Uh, always, uh, always a uh, fun event to be at as, as we uh, look over a shoulder here and see another person go out there and practice and uh, get set uh, for uh, the uh, the competition. So, uh, so the the competition itself, the the uh, the hilltop uh, pro am presented by Syndicate has your name and your company associated with it. How proud are you to be a part of this one? Oh, I, I'm very proud. I mean, been skiing here since I moved to Seattle, uh, I think 16 years ago. Got uh, Fell in kind of with this crew up here, Gordon Skoog and his whole family, loved the lake. He had some uh, nice tournaments up here. We started doing records, and now I think it's grown to one of the largest events in the world in terms of competitors and cash prize. So very proud to, to work with them and excited to see the skiing this weekend. And probably equally proud that uh, that pretty much all of the the skiers uh, that are associated with the Syndicate brand, at least on the uh, the protein level, are here as well. Nearly everyone's here. Very proud of them. We have a great crew. I think we got great team camaraderie. We develop product together, and uh, and it just means a lot. They all show up and compete, and I think they really enjoy it as well. Indeed, indeed. I mean, I mean, I see Benjamin over there a little bit earlier on. Nick Adams was here. Uh, Jamie Ball, uh, Will Asher, uh, Jonathan Travers—they're all here uh, skiing on their on their on each on their particular skis. Now, your team, uh, the HS Syndicate team, is probably one of the largest out there in pro skiing so far as uh, just the sheer number of skiers. Uh, taking their design input into consideration they're all they're all ski on on slightly different models of skis they're 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 even on prototypes right now coming into this event event and you know they they give their feedback you report back to them they report back to you how is is it how much of a challenge is it to to take all of that information from all of those skis of various designs to try and come up with something or some skis that will hit the marketplace well i I first i'd say that's my favorite part of the job so to me that's just natural it's not much work um i think even if i didn't work for ho i'd hopefully be hanging out with this crew and talking skis and brainstorming new ways to design them yeah it does get tough but like i said we've been doing it for a long time together will and i've been working together for 16 years and it's getting easier developing skis he's 
knows so much about them and he's understanding what he needs and what the consumer needs so it's definitely making my job easier and Benny's doing really great as well. The whole team, John, Jamie, the whole crew, they, they get it. They understand that we got to work together to make great product. we got to keep the c- consumers in mind, but at the same time, we got to scratch the itch, and we got to push the sport and figure out it's the end of the, at the end of the rope, you know. Does that, does that technique on top of the ski kind of dictate what shape and everything, the flex pattern that they ride? Or, 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 or is it the opposite way around where you give them a ski that you think would suit them and say ride on this a few times tell me what you think and then kind of go from there i think the different styles that skiers have whether they're pros or amateurs definitely suits different models that's why we have multiple high-end models will for instance you know prefers he doesn't need aggressively deep concaves compared to some of the skiers you'll see some of the amateurs here Uh, he likes a bigger ski Uh, i would say the tip rocker he prefers is flatter and then other skiers, like Jamie, the ski she's riding, you know, has quite a bit more rocker. She runs her boots further back. Like, you learn their taste in skis. Mm-hmm. And my job is to make sure that the, our new product has that built in so they can ride it at the highest level. And at the same time, that their tastes sync up well with the consumers. And so that's what experience does for you. You learn um, what works and what doesn't. Now you ski yourself. Uh, you com- you compete in the U.S. national level. You've uh, you've done one of uh, a few pro tournaments, San Gervasio and what have you, and you've and you've skied here, obviously at the hilltop. Yeah. Uh, how how much how much of what you do out the water dictates uh, the product, or is it or is it or is it all exclusively from the pro skiers and your stable that you know? Yeah. No, I understand. I understand. Um, you know, when I it's funny. I'll, I'll be honest. When I first started, I was very cautious not to just make skis for myself, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it'd be very easy to fall into that and just say, well, I'm a skier. I'm pretty good. I've won the nationals a couple times. Um, I can run into 39. Like, this is what's best. I really listened to the athletes a lot. Um, and the great thing is a lot of the athletes we have on our team, we have similar feel. Obviously, they do it closer to the boat, but um, we're on the same page. But as I've gotten older, I've learned to trust my gut and to make stuff that works for me as well and not be afraid of that. And often when I've gone that way and made stuff that I like, it seems to resonate well with the, the, the amateur skier and the consumer as well. You know, the thing about really high-end skiers is, yes, they need an, an exceptional ski to run 41, but they're also very adaptable where they can kind of run 39 on a lot of stuff. And so you, then in a way, they're not the greatest tester for that. And, you, and guys like me or, you know, like we're sitting here, Dave Miller or a high-level amateur, we're good testers in our own way. We really are. Even though we don't ski as well as the high-end pros, I mean, if it works for us, it's usually, and it works for Will and John and Jamie, it's a good sign. All right. So, I mean, are, are you a believer in the contention that there is a 36 miles an hour market and a 34 mile an hour market in, 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 ter- in terms of in terms of, of, of slalom skis at the high end? Yeah, I think years ago I had a concept where we had 34-mile-an-hour skis and 36-mile-an-hour skis. We had A's and S's, A1s and S's. That would be my next question. Yeah, and, you know, I think what I hit right was there's different styles of skis, but maybe I didn't get the speed thing right because what happened in the end is a guy like Terry Winter, who skied for HO at the time, ended up on the 34-mile-an-hour ski, and a guy like Greg Bedell, who went 34, ended up on the 36-mile-an-hour ski. So typical, you know, life life lesson doesn't go as planned but in the end um 
you know, different skier styles. And we were tapped into that then, and we've refined that since. And, and that's why we have two or three high-end models now that really suit different skier styles. All right, then. Go into the A models from way back in the day. I actually had this conversation a little bit uh, yesterday. And there, there seems to be one or two skis that 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 customers that have that have been loyal to the ho syndicate brand i've always said you know what i'm skiing on a great ski right now but darn i wish that ski that you produced several seasons ago would make a comeback uh, any truth to that notion oh yeah i hear it every time man the first ski that kind of my crew designed was the a1 and to this day literally yesterday i had a conversation with a bunch of the people on the dock they said that still was their favorite ski and they remember it and they ran their pb and will you ever bring that back i always ask them i said have you ridden it lately because we have and i don't actually love that ski um anymore i mean at the time i think maybe it was probably the best ski in the world of that brief moment in time but um we have all the old molds i'll say that um, one thing we have done has been conservative and keep our old molds so the a1s the a3s that will ran the 243 on the the s2s the original pro mold we do jamie bulls alpha we that we're re-releasing that this year mm-hmm. i did keep all the kind of the favorites so maybe one day we'll have a heritage collection and re-release some of those with modern material flex patterns and so i don't know we'll see well you heard it here first yeah. folks <laughs> the, the, the 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 syndicate heritage connect uh, collection limited limited edition very few made i guess you I got it. it all right then so uh we talk a lot about the skis uh, what about some of the soft products? Because I mean, uh, it, it hasn't gone unnoticed that that the, the the jackets, the vests, the gloves, and everything—they all play a vital role in the complete package, especially the vests. And, and I mean, I look and see J- Jamie Bull in the, in the syndicate vest that you know. I mean, she skis on. It's lighted. It's as it's featherweight out there, and yeah. it, and, and it really and really suits her. I mean, ha- I mean. For a lot of ski companies, the soft product is an afterthought, not with Syndicate, right? No, I mean, we're a larger company, and um, we do a ton of business in life vests and wetsuits and gloves and all that, and we have a big team. And so we really try and tackle, put our best foot forward in every aspect. So we work with the athletes on the vests um, and, you know, wetsuits and and gloves. And I think, you know, often we, we have some of the best product. I'd say our gloves are probably the best gloves in the world i mean you see a lot of them you see a lot of 41 tail very popular it's a good sign when you see pros who ski for other companies using your gloves (laughs) you know that means you're doing something right our vests are solid i think our wetsuits are pretty pretty great as well we're in the northwest we wear a lot of rubber up here and so we we have pretty good wetsuits i've made sure they're decent because we got to wear them to get ready for the season and probably one of the most requested products is that thing that uh, that jt was it's that that dry hoodie thing the, the thing you dry yourself off with i mean how, how many people come up to you and like to ask you hey can you hook us up with one of those everybody yeah yeah <laughs> the poncho towel or the poncho yeah we call it same thing i mean we're up here cold wet skiing and march and uh, i think we got it from a surf brand or something we're like we got to make this so but it's really my team guys like john yan and brett perry and all these guys that work for us who are graphic artists and they find the latest trends they find the materials they make it look cool with the syndicate logo and we do a good job of putting on the athletes and they wear it around that's that's how it grows okay so far so so far as product development is concerned going back to that a little bit i mean i'm i'm 
I mean, when you go and produce a new ski, I mean, it has to kind of start from somewhere. So, so I mean, just kind of describe for me how long that process takes from con conception to what you want that ski to do to, to it finally hitting the marketplace. Yeah, it's a bit of a process. Some go smoother than others. Uh, I'll give you an example. The Seneca Works 1 that's coming out, or is out actually as of the Nationals. Okay. We cut the original prototype mold August of 2021, and we launched it to the public uh, at the Nationals in August of 2022. We did four mold cuts, so from, you know, in between to try and get it refined to where we thought it was ready for the general public. Um, and that's a lot of hours of CAD, building skis, testing material. So, yeah, at a minimum, it takes us one year. Uh, I would love two years sometimes to really get it dialed. But um, I think, you know, the people want new skis. They're hungry for them. I, my pros wanted them, so we really worked hard this year to get them done. Does the pressure to put, put something out in the market stem more from the customers, or, or, is, it, or is it more corporate concerns? To be honest, it's not. It's mostly internal amongst the syndicate team. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, I mean these guys are demanding. I mean that in a great way. They want new stuff. They want to get through their hard pass. They want to run thirty nine or forty one, depending on their you know their ability level. And they're pushing. They're not not satisfied with the ski from last year. So they've really pushed me. And then um, I've been fortunate enough that HO understands that and they've invested in that because we don't necessarily need to cut a new ski every year for business reasons but we definitely have for uh keeping the team satisfied and keeping our learning going you know that's how we've learned so much about ski design that'll help us a lot they'll invest it's a good investment in our future you know all right then so let's shy away a little bit from from the whole syndicate from the whole syndicate deal i mean i, I mean i mean that's the reason why you're here but let's let's take a let let's take a brief stroll uh and converse a little bit so far as slalom skiing as a whole and at the pro level uh is there anything that you see out there in these tournaments that are going on around the world with the water ski pro tour and what have you that gives you a sense of optimism going forward for the uh, for the future of the sport oh totally i i think if you look at the pro calendar this year i mean there are so many pro events and i remember just a couple years ago Maybe you could count the number of pro events on one hand. Mm. And they're different than they used to be. They're no longer like the 80s where they had the the Bud Pro Tour and you had a, thousands of people on the shore. But there are a lot of these like pro-am tournaments like Hilltop. You've got mingling like today with the amateurs and the pros. You've got a beautiful webcast, Tony, that your crew and Vince and the guys are doing. Adds a lot of credibility to the sport. And so it's different than it used to be, but I think it gives me a lot of hope for the future you see a lot of juniors in these events like mingling with you know world champions like jamie bowl and that'll definitely be inspiring that's how i got to this level is just hanging out with wade cox and carl roberge and it makes a big difference so i think the future's bright and actually uh, i give everybody a little glimpse into the business side the water ski business has been growing and wow. actually quite well we're pretty mature we've been around 100 years water skiing's been around 100 years the industry's probably been around 50 of that now and yeah. um often when you have a mature industry you see small growth one percent two percent three percent the last five years for the water ski business has been great it's been good growth you know um maybe upwards of double digits so okay so let's turn that around a little bit is there anything within the sport of tournament water skiing 
that kind of frustrates you? I wish there was more money for the pros, obviously. Um, syndicates sponsoring this event. And we do have a little bit of outside industry money in with miles and, um, you know, uh, sand and gravel. And that, but I wish we could we could have bigger purses. We could support travel. We could, you know, and I, I think we're going to get there. I think we're going to hook one of these big fish who can help support us because we're really... We're a large company, but we don't have the, the bankroll of a bud like they used to or yeah. things like that. And I wish we could do more because I think these athletes deserve it. They're very committed. They travel all over the world. They really put on a hell of a show. I, I, I always think that. I was at the Water Ski Nationals watching Freddy Krueger jump under the lights at night for virtually nothing. And I was like, man, the dude is putting his life on the line for this crowd. And that's special. So I think these guys, you know, I really hope... We can continue. I think with the broadcast you guys are doing, I think, and the professionalism of the athletes, we, we're going to get back to bigger industry sponsors. And I would certainly, certainly hope that that happens, you know, going forward, you know. But uh, here, here at Hilltop, I mean, I mean, I mean, there'll, there'll be there'll, there'll be a good crowd of people. I mean, I mean, nothing like the uh, the Bud Water Ski Tour or Michelob Dry or what have you back back it back in the day. So, I mean, I'm guessing in a lot of ways the expectations that people have for this sport in terms of its exposure kind of have to be a little bit re-examined a little bit in the face of new media youtube all, all all of that kind of stuff would you go along with that totally i don't think it's necessary to have you know ten thousand people on the beach like there used to be in fact i think it it's the world's changed social media youtube things like that people are going to get out they're going to live their life, do their thing, hopefully be on the water, skiing or wakeboarding, and then tune in, you know, watch the finals, watch the recap. And that's great. It's just different than it used to be. And I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing. I do that a lot in all the other sports, you know. In the winter, we'll go out and snow ski, and in the evening, I'll watch a recap of a ski race or a free ride contest. And, yeah, I'm not on the slope watching, but I'm just as much of a fan and a consumer as ever. And I'm out doing stuff, too. So it's cool. Excellent. Let, let, let's focus a little bit about you on a personal level now. So, I mean, you're probably gulping, like saying, what's he going to ask me? Now? <laughs> but, yeah, but I mean... Nothing uh, to hide, Tony. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you've been in this sport for for how many years now, would you would you say? Uh, I skied in 25 U.S. Nationals in a row. I oh, wow. I counted the other day. Wow, you should yeah. get yourself a set of steak knives for that. Mm, totally. <laughs> So you've been involved in the Long sport time. for over for over for over well for a quarter of a decade yeah. now. Uh, how did you get into it? Well, I grew up in Michigan. My parents were teachers. Uh, we lived on a lake in the summer. A lot of people in Michigan have a a lake house in like northern Michigan, and uh, we lived up there for three months. And my family skied, but not like this. We had a uh, just recreational skiing, and then um, one of the guys down the block he had skied for Michigan State, the water ski team. And he taught me kind of how to do the slalom thing, although we didn't even have buoys at that point. And then my other good friend, okay. Paul Larson, put a slalom course in on the lake, and we, we started going around the buoys, and we got hooked. And then, um, not to have too long a story, but my family lived in Florida as well, and we started going down there to visit them Easter and winter breaks and things like that. And I ended up going to ski with Carl Roberge at the time, I think. When 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 was that? Mid-90s, I think. Yeah, early to mid-90s, somewhere in there. And at the time, I think two hundred. I, I think about the time that I was there, right? Probably, think, yeah, probably. I mean, yeah. I mean, just like passing through in the night. Yeah, right? everybody <laughs> was there. I remember the first time I went to Roberge. Roberge is, uh, I think, at the time, maybe ten guys in the world had jumped two hundred feet, and maybe six of them were there jumping. 
yeah. and I was a teenager and that had a big impact in my life. I was like, wow, I want to do this. I learned to jump and I was hooked and yeah, I ended up being a slalom skier more or less, but that was what got me into it, you know? Yeah, jumping's considerably high risk. I mean, I, I, I mean, it, it, and your stable of, of, of skiers, Wade Cox, you know, I mean, he was a jumper. He was a, he was he a was great a world, jumper. He was a great jumper. Yeah. And then just one accident and then blew, uh, I don't know, broke his leg or something like he, that. And then he, then he had to evolve into a top-class, world-class llama. Yeah, he... Well, I, they used to call... I, I don't know if I have the story right. They used to call him the next Sammy Duvall. That's crazy to think of Wade like that. But yeah. then he broke his leg very badly. He did come back from that, actually. And I think he jumped quite well. But I think his slalom took off. And I know he and Robert are very close. And I think at some point, I don't know, he just committed to the slalom. And thank God, man, look look at that career that Wade had slaloming. It's unbelievable. Yeah. He was a my hero as a slalom skier and um now he's a great friend so it's cool so yeah so i mean you you talk about the influences and stuff like that i mean you and, and you just spoke to spoke about Wade. uh any other influences at that time i think robert and cock and wade were they were my big influences as a kid i work with bob lapointe now very closely i'm a little too young or I was a little like not tuned in to really be as influenced by Bob but as I've grown in my skiing and met I mean it's amazing the impact that the LaPointe brothers had on skiing and I'm just super grateful for getting to work with Bob all these years and learn from him so it's funny like even though I wasn't maybe influenced him when I was young as I've gotten older I've been heavily influenced by him and so yeah I mean, even as you're pro- pro- producing skis now as vice president of HO, can't, you can't help to be starstruck a little bit. I, I mean, I've got I've got Wade here. I've got I've got Bob Lapointe over here. I mean, I mean, what else? I mean, what else can go for you in that regard? It's pretty cool. Yeah, you do get starstruck every once in a while, and you get a little intimidated when you got a ski and everybody in the boats won the worlds a couple times, you know. But um, <laughs> I'm a good skier, but compared to all those guys, I mean that's a different level so but you know I, I would say about the whole crew is even though you've got probably the biggest names in skiing the ego doesn't get in the way they all really are collectively trying to work together and make good stuff and occasionally we really nail it and we make the best product in the world so couldn't do it without them all right then so uh i think we've i think we've probably expended all, all the all that we've got here for this webcast uh for this podcast i'm sorry uh, the webcast is twbc with the pictures the podcast is just me with a audio recorder here uh, doing the best that i can uh but uh, is there anything you'd want to end off with thanks or what have you uh, before we uh, put a button on this I I think I want to thank Gordon Skoog and his family for hosting us here at this event. I mean, we're sitting here on the lake. Uh, It's one of the most beautiful lakes in the world, and this really wouldn't happen if it wasn't for him. I mean, I know it has the syndicate logo on it, but to be honest, it's really his event, and uh, we support as we can. I really want to thank all the people for coming out, all the families for coming out, because like I said, I was heavily influenced by the pros at a young age, and hopefully we're doing that for a new generation and we can grow this thing and then thanks to you tony and everything you guys do because i I really think with the with the broadcast it adds a ton of credibility to the event and it brings so many people into this event who can't attend so yeah thank all the volunteers for helping out 
excellent stuff and that is a dave wingerter uh, from uh, from ho uh, ho sports and uh, until the next edition of the twbc podcast it is ciao for now thank you for listening to the twbc podcast be sure to check out our website at waterskibroadcasting.com Links to our presence on major social media platforms can be found there, as well as updates to our webcast and this podcast. Duplication or rebroadcasting of this broadcast without written consent of TWBC is prohibited. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to join us next time for the next edition of the TWBC Podcast.